Hello and welcome to C3 Newcastle City Podcast. It is our honour to host you and trust you will enjoy this message as much as we did. For more information about C3 Newcastle City or to connect with us, visit our website www.c3nc.com. Okay, so um, I've been away for a few weeks. Oh, you noticed, bless you. That's why we like you, Lynn. It was you who said it, wasn't it? That you noticed. No, it was you. It was you. I thought it was Lynn. I'm giving the credit to Lynn, and it wasn't Lynn. It was you. You are fabulous anyway, and you noticed I was away as well, didn't you? Yeah, that was good. Several weeks. <laughs> I haven't just been... Well, I was licking my wounds over the rugby. That was a couple of weeks of it, obviously. Congratulations, South Africa. There I said it. So I had to endure that in uh, Tel Aviv, uh, watching in a... Uh, there were two bars we found in the whole of Tel Aviv that were playing the rugby uh, next to each other, looking out over the Mediterranean. I have to say, most of the second half, I was just looking at the Mediterranean, to be honest. There wasn't a lot for an Englishman to be watching. But we beat the All Blacks, so let's, uh, you know, let's remember that. So this is the, uh, I think this is the last week on the armour. Um, so I was here for the first week and Bev preached an amazing word in the first week. I believe she's been on since then in this series as well. And she's with the kids at the moment and is coming later. So before she comes in, I'm going to say nice things about Bev. Uh, but you can all tell her, right? That, that um, Bev doesn't like being called Pastor Bev. But you know why we call, refer to her as Pastor Bev isn't because of a position or a job or a title. It's because Bev is a pastor to many people. And many people look to Bev and thank God that he's brought Bev into their life because she is a pastor. And uh, so I prepared some of this message using a Bible that used to belong to Bev. So it'll probably be really good this morning, really inspired. Um, But Bev's an amazing woman and we are very fortunate that God has placed her in our church. And uh, I will say that all to her when I see her later as well. That's not just an Englishman not prepared to say it in front of the person who may hear it. Um, But what she said in her message at the beginning I thought was really powerful that, you know, I grew up in a church environment where the armour of God and spiritual warfare was kind of about us going out there. It was, remember, if you were in that era, if you're nearly as old as I am, we were in an era where it was all about taking ground and it was all about being offensive in both meanings of the word, quite frankly. And Bev's wonderful message to us actually reminds us what this passage is actually about. It's, a, it's defensive. It's protecting us. It's the armour that God gives us to protect us. And uh, let's just have a look at some of those words. As this is the sort of coming to the end of the series, I thought we might just remember or remind ourselves some of the sort of fundamentals from this passage. So we're in Ephesians 6 and 10 to 17. And Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So first of all, it's being strong in the Lord, right? So without the Lord, unless we're actually looking to him, unless we're relying on his mighty power, this isn't the kind of strength that we're supposed to be talking about. Uh, there's a, in Zechariah 4 and verse 6 it says not by might but by my spirit says the Lord and I think sometimes those uh, groups that I grew up in where we were all sort of offensive 
uh, were perhaps forgetting that it wasn't supposed to be built by might, but by his spirit. And we shall come on and look at that a little bit more later. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. It doesn't say put on the full armor of God so that you can go and tell everyone else how to live their lives. Or so you can go and tell everyone else how wrong they are about everything. It says so that you can take your stand. And as it goes on in verse 13, it says, Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. This is about you and me not getting knocked over. This is about us staying the course. This is about us having that resilience, that strength, that robustness so that whatever is fired at us, we don't get knocked over. We're not like that man who built a house on the sand that when the wind and the rain came, the house gets washed away and everything that he'd invested in, everything that he'd built, everything that he thought he was going to be able to rely on for his future had gone because actually its foundation wasn't in the Lord it's found out or in the rock as it says in that story but he just built the house on sand and I don't think we're supposed to be I don't think Jesus died for us this is an understatement by the way I don't think Jesus died for us for us to be wishy-washy kind of flimsy washed about knocked about people the armor of God is there for us to use so that we're not like that so that when our day of testing comes we can stand firm so that we're not blown around by it. Now, this doesn't mean that we won't suffer trials and it doesn't mean that sometimes we're not going to fall over. But fundamentally, he's given us what we need to ensure that we are the strong, stable, resilient, robust followers of God that he created us to be. So we can, we can be more like Jesus. Let's look at Jesus as an example in Luke chapter 4. Sounds like they're having fun up there, doesn't it? Luke chapter 4 and verse 3. So this is the the temptation of Jesus. There's some wonderful understatement in this passage. I sometimes think some of the New Testament must have been written by an Englishman or or the English translation is kind of British English because there's some real understatement. It says he hadn't eaten for 40 days or something. It says, and he was hungry. I should think he probably was, wouldn't he? Like, and he was hungry. I would be a bit hungry. Rachel made me go about four hours yesterday, so she didn't make me go. I just misunderstood that we weren't having lunch, and, uh, <laughs> apparently. And uh, so you know, after four hours, I was starving and grumpy and ravenous. So this is like 40 days, and he was hungry. So the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And then later on, he says, if you worship me... Everything you can see in front of you will be yours. And in verse 8, Jesus said, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then later on, he says, it is said in verse 12, do not put the Lord your God to test. And then when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, he threw everything he had at him. He knew that he was starving hungry. He knew that he was vulnerable. Because one of the amazing things about this Christian message, Christian story, is that God made himself physically vulnerable so that he could experience what we could experience and show us the example. So the devil threw everything he could at him. No, no impact, no effect. Jesus stood firm. Or you might say, well, 
you know, telling me to be a bit like Jesus, maybe that's too much. Actually, the Bible does tell us to try and be a bit like Jesus, try and imitate him, be imitators of him as much as we can. But maybe that's too strong an example. Maybe we should look at Paul. So let's turn to, uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. It goes on to say, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. But whatever you threw at Paul, he got up again. Whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was imprisoned, whatever was thrown at him, he says, and I love those words, we're going to just do them again. He says, hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Perplexed. Paul, Paul didn't live a life where he didn't have those days where he's saying, what is going on? Why is all this happening? Of course he did. He was human. But he says he was perplexed, but not in despair. He was persecuted, but not abandoned. He was struck down, but not destroyed. So whether we take the example of Jesus... Tempted at when he was at his most vulnerable, but everything the devil threw at him, he just had no effect. Or whether it's Paul, that whatever they slapped at him, he just got up, dusted himself down again, and got on with it. Or maybe it's examples you can think of in your life or in friends of yours who, you know, they've been in despair, they've been perplexed, they've been knocked but they're not going to give up. I had an email uh, yesterday from... So I work with a small uh, New Zealand-based charity that uh, is a group of Christians got together to fund the building of schools and water infrastructure in poor parts of Africa. And it's just us, right? Us and our friends. And we've... One project we did, we spent about $300,000 on building a water supply for a village of, um, I think it's 1,100 families because the rains had failed several years and their water sources were no longer reliable. So we did some fundraising and uh, got together $300,000. I can tell you there's like seven or eight of us at the core of this thing, so that's a lot of money for that many people to raise. We didn't do kind of cooking stools and things like that, but uh, we were out there doing our bit. My job is I'm the suit that they wheel out in front of corporate types and I have to kind of make it look credible. Um, Work sometime. And uh, so we, we raised $300,000. We invested in this water supply scheme. There were pictures shown uh, and video of these African women dancing in the water it was, as it was pouring out of this well station we'd put in and uh, just the joy of people that now they've got water. Because now they've got water, kids can go to school because they were walking seven kilometres a day to get their water. Uh, now they've got water, they can grow crops because this is a village where there's not too many jobs other than growing crops so that you can feed your families and sell the excess to give you income to pay school fees and things like that. And uh, John, the guy who runs this little charity, was uh, over in Africa and sent us this email saying, my heart is breaking because uh, the pump has failed and the government had said that they were going to step in and fix the pump, and they hadn't done so, and many, many months had gone by, and these people hadn't got water. And uh, John pours out his heart in this email, and, you know, you're 
sort of lying in bed reading this email with sort of tears in your eyes at the, the sheer pain that John feels that we've done so much to try and give these people a, the water supply they need, this life-giving source of water. Uh, and he says, but I know that God is with us and I know God called us to do this for a purpose and I know a way is going to be found. And the next day we get an email saying, I'm in Dubai on the way back. I've just received an email saying that the government engineer has turned up. He's got all the parts. The pump's going to be fixed and water's going to be flowing soon. And that might seem a very small example compared with you know, the, the Jesus example and the Paul example. But the whatever it is you have been called for in life, when, when it looks a bit dodgy, if you go all flaky and, and give in and get when your house gets washed away... That's, we don't need to be like that because we've been given the armour. And John said, I know God's going to come through with this, but just now I don't know how. That's okay. God doesn't expect us to pretend that we don't feel knocked about by it, but he expects us to still trust that he will find a way and get up, dust ourselves down and get on. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing the video of the water flowing again and, and the life being restored to that village. And you will have a calling and a purpose and a something in your life that you are supposed to do, whatever it is. I can tell you that my work experience at the moment is not the most joyous part of my career that I've ever had. Try running water in the state at the moment when you've got drought and bushfires. It's, you can imagine it's a reasonably stressful environment. I don't come home every night feeling joyous and I sometimes come home saying, God, why did you bring me here? This isn't, you know, I, I, need, to see, I need to see more success. But as long as you are leaning on him and trusting in him and taking that to him and not saying, well, this clearly isn't working and run away at the first time of anything going wrong. That is what this is all about. So we are supposed to be the ones who stand firm, set the example to others by being resilient and by dusting ourselves off and by trusting in him. So that's the kind of, I think, what this armour is all about as opposed to being what we're supposed to use to go on the offensive and tell everyone else what to do. It's the armour that's supposed to allow us to carry on relying on God and not get knocked off. So let's look at the, the bit that we're supposed to be looking at today, which is, so we're back in Ephesians 6. And verse 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the helmet of salvation. This may not be the most difficult question in the world, but what's a helmet for? It's to protect your head. It's to, pr to protect your life. But I think as well, it's, you know, we can think about it a bit more spiritually than that. It's to pr I think it's to protect your brain and your mind, to protect what's in here. This is the helmet of salvation. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like, we don't have to put up with our mind being knocked about. And, and I know there are terrible times that we all go through. I, just this last few days, it's been the anniversary of when we lost my younger brother when he was 18. And you have days when, you know, you don't feel good, days when you don't feel resilient, days when it all feels too difficult. And I'm not talking about people who have mental health problems and things like that. I'm talking about in our day-to-day -day life, 
not allowing our minds to be controlled by the way the world sees things, but actually saying, I'm, I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to conform to that. I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it talks of taking every thought captive. You, know, you don't have to allow your thought, the thoughts that come into your mind to control you. You don't have to believe everything that comes into your mind. Some of it's nonsense. You don't have to just accept that. You can take those thoughts captive. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I don't have to conform to what the world tells me. I don't have to think how the world tells me to think. I don't even have to listen to the thoughts that come into my mind. I can take them captive and I can know that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And I can, that's, that's putting on the helmet, you know. That's protecting our minds. Because it also goes on to say uh, elsewhere, um, we have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. We don't have to accept the mind that everybody else would have. We don't have to accept the thoughts that we naturally have. We can say, I can have his mind, and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. Now, why is this called a helmet of salvation? Well, I think, I think there's a problem with um, a lot of Christians that we have too narrow a view of what salvation is all about. Which way is that clock going? Is that counting down? Oh, it is. Well, that's good. I thought I was nearly done. I only just got going. <clears throat> so, um, what was I talking about? We have too narrow a view of salvation. So there are, you know, I, there are Christians I meet for whom salvation is that when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. But for the next 70, 80 years or whatever, it's all struggle and no joy and no victory and God's not doing anything for me for this next period of time. And that my, my job is just to sort of like just try and keep going through all of this and eventually sort of limp over the line into heaven. And then when I get to heaven, everything's going to be great, which it is, by the way. But I think that's too small a view of salvation. And that's one of the reasons why our minds are so full of everything else because we're not filling our mind with the full salvation that he's given us. So what do I mean by that? In Luke 4, 18 to 19, this is where Jesus sets out what he's here to do. And he picks up a scroll from Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And it says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And then he, goes, then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is salvation. Salvation is about healing. Salvation is about wholeness. Salvation is about recovery of sight for the blind salvation is about the poor being released from poverty this is salvation and i don't believe this is all meant to be metaphorical or all meant to be just pointing to a day 
when we die. But actually, this is the salvation that Jesus died for us to have. And if we were to live our lives daily putting on the helmet of salvation, in other words, daily reminding ourselves what he has done for us, and as we sang in that first song, I am who you say I am, that this is actually about me, that this passage where he says, I have come, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was, that was the start of that work being done, which was all made, all cemented by his death on the cross and his resurrection. That is salvation. And that is how we should be living our lives. And that is how daily we should be putting on the helmet of salvation or filling our minds with, this is who I am. This is who he is. This is what he has done for me. This is what he has made possible for me. Rather than the thoughts that the world would fill our minds with. I was just, as I said, just in Israel. And um, you know, it breaks my heart when I've been there twice. And I've, I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East, uh, but just twice in Israel. And when you drive around and talk to people and meet people, you know, here's a whole nation still waiting for this salvation to come. And most of the nation of Israel through the centuries has missed for 2,000 years that, that the Messiah has come and that salvation has been made possible, not just to those who were born in the nation of Israel, but to us who are members of that new Jerusalem, as it were. And I find it so sad that um, this richness, this fullness that was given to the nation of Israel, yet they're still waiting for the fulfilment of that. But it's been made available to all of us, and to them, incidentally, and to the Palestinians, incidentally. Uh, But... That is, that is what happened when Jesus opened the scroll from Isaiah and read that out. Salvation is here and it's available to all of us and it's a big salvation. It's a full salvation. It's a big salvation. That's rubbish, isn't it? But anyway, it, but it's an enormous salvation. It's full. It's vast. It's all-encompassing. And it's not just, few. you can tick that box now. When you die, you're going to be okay. Now struggle on for the rest of your life. Psalm 65 and 11, a few more aspects of this vast salvation. Psalm 65, 11, in fact we'll go to 10, says, You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. I mean, here we are in this worst drought New South Wales has ever seen. And I get to go out and see bits of it, and I know some of you do as well, and gosh, it's dry, and it's, and it's not just about a lack of water, it's about livelihoods, and it's about mental health, and it's about, it's, you know, we all need to be praying for rain, you know. I think if the people of God actually stood up and prayed for rain and demonstrated more faith to God about his love for this country and what he can do for us, I think that would be a good thing for us to do, by the way. But in the context of that, imagine if you're in one of those most dry places at the moment. It's like living in the desert. And here's the language that we use when talking about God and what he has done for us. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. Uh, you drench its furrows and level its rich, riches. It's, it's refreshing. 
it's soothing, it's abundance, it's everything that we need for life. Another translation of that passage says, your carts drip with abundance, which I kind of love. This overflow is water dripping down and refreshing. Psalm 18, 16 to 19. This is, this is the true salvation that God brings to his people. Psalm 18, 16 to 19. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Have you ever uh, had those times in your life where you feel hemmed in, where you feel almost claustrophobic, everything is kind of crushing you in, you've got no room to breathe and you don't know where to go, you don't know how to get out of it. He drew me out, he brought me into a spacious place because he delighted in me. This is salvation. This is what God, through in this case his servant David, speaks to his people about as the way he sees his people, what he does for his people. He drew me out into a spacious place. He brought me into a spacious place because he delighted in me. So every day, can you imagine if we started our day by putting on this helmet of salvation that says how vast, how enormous, how all-encompassing is the salvation that Jesus brought for me by his death on the cross? Can you imagine how, what a difference that would make to what we do when people say things to us or thoughts come into our mind or other worldviews try to dominate the way that we think. I don't know what, if you have the kind of work experience or home experience or whatever it is that, that you do, but I certainly feel quite a lot that my view of the world is challenged and that people are saying things that are just so contrary to what I believe to be true. But because there's so many of them and they're all, they're all well-educated and they're all very sophisticated and it's, it could be quite easy to just sort of gradually have your fir the firmness of what you believe chipped away at. And then when the day of testing comes, you won't stand firm. But if you keep putting the helmet of salvation on, you'll remind yourself just how much he's done for you and how big this salvation is. And you'll be able to say, I am who you say I am. And you are who you say you are. And therefore, my mind doesn't need to be drawn off into all these other things. But that I can just firmly, surely rely on the fact that you have brought me this amazing salvation. So I think that's what the helmet of salvation is all about. And that if we would put this on daily, we will be protected from any thoughts that anyone else is trying to fire at us any nonsense we're seeing on the TV, any challenge we're getting from our colleagues, our friends, our family, whatever, but that we can honestly know that we have an enormous salvation that's been made available to us through our Saviour. So that's the, the helmet of salvation, and going with that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, when Bev spoke about this a few weeks ago, she said... You know, she talked about how the word had been used um, you know, by Christians to, to, in this offensive kind of way. 
And there's a danger that we could think of the sword of the spirit. Oh, here, at last, finally, we've got rid of all this kind of defensive sort of stuff. At last, I can go around chopping some ears off and doing that kind of thing. Well, I don't think so. If we, if we think about Hebrews 4 and 12, it does tell us something about the word. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So clearly the word of God is, is, is very powerful, very sharp. But if we think about 2 Corinthians 3 and 6, this tells us that the letter kills but the spirit gives life. And this is described as the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And I think we can choose to use the word of God negatively, which is actually to bring condemnation and death because the letter kills, or we can choose to use this sword, sword of the spirit, because the letter kills but the spirit brings life. And I think if we think about how powerful, how sharp, how cutting that word of God can be, and we think about using it in the Holy Spirit to bring life rather than to bring death, then that is the offensive weapon that we have, a weapon that's not there to cut people's legs off. And, you know, this tall poppy syndrome that we have in, in Australia and uh, in New Zealand. I first discovered it in New Zealand. Anyone who's successful would just go around chopping their heads off. Obviously, it never came my way. But, uh, you know, that's, but that's kind of what it's like. And this is horrible, right? We don't, we're not there. We're not giving a sword to go attacking other people. We're giving a sword to bring life. And if we use the word of God powerfully, actually if we use the word that God gives us in a spiritual sense and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us, then that's a word that brings life, not a word that brings death and condemnation. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11. So we are coming to an end. So this is that bit I don't do very well where we get the band up. And you were listening. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 10 to 11. It says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God will achieve the purpose for which God sent it. And, and this is the sword that we have at our disposal. We can put the word of God out there in a really powerful way. We, you know, we've heard it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We've heard that it will achieve the purpose for which God sent it. And if we are operating in tune with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give us the word to say. And that is a word that will bring life. 
it will achieve the purpose for which God sent it. Because the letter, the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. So I think as we, as we come to the end of all of this series on this armour, the armour of God, and we've talked about the fact that most of the armour is there for us to stand firm, I love the fact that this ends with the bit of the armour that's actually there for us to bring life. But we can't bring life to a broken world around us. We can't bring life to hurting people. If we're washed around and, I was going to say flabby, I can't talk about us not being flabby, that's probably not good, is it? Hypocritical, some might say. But if we're kind of like weak and washed around and every time the wind and the rain comes, we'll sort of fall over in a heap and it's all a bit pathetic. How can we hope to bring life to people? But this standing firm, this ability to face it all, isn't so that we can take them on. It's so that we can stand and bring them life. Because we're not knocked about, we can bring the very words of God, which bring life to people, that, that brought life to those dry bones in the valley, that bring life, like when Jesus spoke and Lazarus came forth. These are the words of God. This is using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love in the standing firm thing, when Jesus had read those words of the scroll and he'd said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, this is me. This is what I came for. I am it. I am the Messiah. I am the one who's come to bring you this salvation. What happened after he'd said that? They chased him to the edge of a cliff and they wanted to push him off the cliff do you know what he did he turned and walked through he just because he knew his time hasn't come for that to happen that was coming later at the end of his ministry but he knew it's not now and he just walked through them and they couldn't do anything to him because that time wasn't yet and we know later they did crucify him. And even that wasn't it because Jesus rose him from the dead. But I love the fact that they wanted to push him off the cliff after he had said, this is fulfilled today in your hearing. I am it, basically. I am the Messiah. I'm the one. And they wanted to push him off the cliff and he just turned and walked through them because he knew they couldn't because he'd got so much more to do until that day was going to come where he voluntarily went and died for us. So I want to ask you, have you got too narrow a view of your salvation? For some of you, that narrow view might just be about salvation is just about stuff in life and that you're a bit unsure about what happens at the end. Man, do you need a wider view of salvation? Because actually Jesus came and did all this so that amongst other things, you could know with complete assurance that when the end of your days has come, you're going to be with him. But if you're in that camp of people who, that's the only part of salvation you ever think about, and you don't actually think about the salvation day to day for the, to be able to live the life that he's called you to live, then I want you to think about how big the salvation is that he's brought for you. I want you to think about carts dripping with abundance. I want you to think about being drawn out into a spacious place because he delights in you. I want you to think about recovery of sight for the blind, 
release for the captives, the end of poverty for the poor. This is a big salvation and we've made it so small. I want, as the band plays, I want to give you the opportunity to come and respond because I, I absolutely know, because I've been very troubled by this the last couple of days, I absolutely know there are people here who God wants to say to you, I died to save you from that trial that you're going through. I died to release you from that thing that you can't see any way out of. I, I died to be able to bring you out into that spacious place where you're feeling all hemmed in and claustrophobic. And, you know, I think it would be a tragedy if you left here today without standing before God and saying, let me receive that full salvation that you've given for me. So perhaps we can stand. I'm going to pray. The, the worship team's going to lead us. And I hope that you will be brave enough to come and stand here and Lynn and others will be here to pray with you. Because I want you to receive that full salvation. And I, just as I pray, I want you to, I just want you to think, just say to God, I know you died to set me free from whatever it is that you're struggling with. And then you need to bring it to the front here and let us pray together with you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that the salvation you have brought to us is so vast, so full, so complete. No other sacrifice is needed, just the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us on the cross. I thank you that there is no burden anyone here is carrying, no, no problem anyone has that is beyond your salvation. And I pray, Father, that everyone here would experience the fullness of your salvation this morning and every morning, every day as we go forward, that we would put on the helmet of salvation and that we would speak the words of life with the sword of the Spirit that you give us. Father, that we would stand firm, confident, secure in the salvation you've given us and that with our words and with our life we would bring life to other people. Father, thank you for every person here. Be their full salvation. Be everything they need. In Jesus' name. Amen. So please, please come forward. Allow us to pray with you. Allow us to release you into that full salvation that Jesus died for you to receive. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and it was a great encouragement to you. For more information about C3 Newcastle City, visit our website, www.c3nc.com.